Shalom. Welcome to the New Millennium Edition of the Torah Teaching. This audio program is produced by Lion and Lamb Ministries and is presented by Monty Judah. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of willing heart, let him bring it as the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, and blue and purple and scarlet material and fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red and porpoise skins and acacia wood and oil for lighting and spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastplate. And let every skillful man among you make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its hooks, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets, and the ark and its poles and the mercy seat and the curtain of the screen and the table and its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence and the lampstand also for the light and its utensils and its lamps and oil for the light. And the altar of incense and its poles and its anointing oil and fragrant incense and the screen for the doorway at the entrance of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offerings from its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the hangings of the court, its pillars and sockets and screen for the gate of the court. And the pegs of the tabernacle and pegs of the court and their cords and the woven garments for ministering in the holy place. The holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. Now, we already heard about the portion about the contribution. Back several Torah portions, it was called teruma, an offering. Take up an offering, the scripture said. So here it is, it's repeating it again. And it repeated, if you caught uh, what I read from the very beginning, it repeated that commandment about Sabbath. And it's a foreshadowing. If you were to go through and read through this, and, and I'm not going to read all of it to you, but if you continue to read the rest of 30, 35, 36, 37, 38, and 40, it repeats over and over again the same stuff. It just gets more detailed. But it's all about the tabernacle, and it's all about the stuff coming together for the tabernacle and how it's to be assembled. And in fact... Let me just summarize that teaching that is given to us in this portion by reading the last part where it all comes together. It's in Exodus chapter 40. It's just a few verses. Let me read for you how the tabernacle was assembled. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall place the ark of the testimony there, and you shall screen the ark with a veil, and you shall bring in the table. And arrange what belongs on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and mount its lamps. Moreover, you shall set the gold altar of incense before the ark of the testimony. And set up the veil for the doorway to the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering in front of the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall set the laver between the tent of meeting and the altar. And shall water, put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the veil for the gateway of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it and shall consecrate it and all its furnishings and it shall be holy. And you shall anoint the altar burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar and the altar shall be most holy. You shall anoint the laver in its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting, wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister as a priest to me. And you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. They shall anoint them, even as you have been anointed their father, that they may minister as priests to me, and their anointing shall qualify them for a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. Thus Moses did, according to all that the Lord had commanded him. So he did. And again, it's a repetition. It's that whole sequence of the things, the furnishings, the elements of the tabernacle. From the Holy of Holies to the holy place to the outer court to the various altars that are established to the to the priesthood to their garments to the anointing of everything and the preparation for it to begin to serve. And as I have learned uh, in the course of studying the Torah over years, and one of the principles I have tried to express 
to people who do study the Torah is any time you see the Torah repeat itself, stop. There's something very important being told to you. And you must stop and learn that. God is not redundant. If he says a certain thing and he turns around and he says the exact same thing over again, he's not being redundant. He's trying to say something that you need to understand before you go further. And what's so interesting about these portions here is he repeats again the construction of the tabernacle. Repeatedly. And if you'll note in this passage I just read to you from chapter 40, what is so interesting about this particular construction technique? Did you see it? Did you notice the particular thing about the way he said to put it together? That it was built from the inside out. Now, if you were to go and build a structure, wouldn't you surely build the whole, all the rooms and get everything ready and then you would bring the furnishings in and so forth? But God says, no, put the furnishings in first, now build around it. Build the holy of holies first, not last. Build the holy place next, not later. Then get the altar set up, then get the labor, then get the outer courts, then get the priests set up. The opposite of the way men do things. Not only is it reflective of God's way of doing things is different from our way, but he's also trying to illustrate and show us something. Now, you're going to hear me discuss uh, this morning, this afternoon, a lot about the tabernacle that God has built in here. And I'm suggesting to you that the manner and the pattern of how the tabernacle was built in the wilderness is how the one in here is built. You don't build it the other way. You don't build the tabernacle that's in here in your heart, in your life, from the outside in. You begin from the inside and you work your way out. That's how things are to be assembled, just like the tabernacle was done in the wilderness. Now, I want to uh, reflect for just a moment. We didn't talk about it in the previous weeks, but I think it's noteworthy in these portions, you hear about the name of a certain man. A certain man who was under the guidance and instruction of Moses, who actually crafted these things. Moses was directing that the thing be constructed after the pattern he was shown, but there was an actual craftsman who was the guy who actually crafted the gold work and made the menorah. And if you recall, his name was Bezalel. He was a son of Judah, son of Hur. And God somehow put it into his heart, the skill that was needed so that he could follow Moses' directions precisely and make in the physical form of those things that Moses had been instructed to do. Moses was able to give him the precise instruction. This man was able to complete it. The name Bezalel is a very interesting name. And as I've indicated to you before, the names, understanding the names of people in the Bible will, will shed a lot of light on what is going on. Bezazel means in the shadow of God. You know, just from that title, that if you're going to be in a safe place, you're going to be in the shadow of God. God will overshadow you. A tent, a tabernacle is made to give shade, to give a covering. And the man whose name means in the shadow of God is the man who's been given the scripture or given the skill to form all of these things we call the tabernacle. So that when it's all said and done, we will understand that going into the tabernacle is to come into the shadow and be covered by the shadow of God. Kind of interesting picture, you know, how it emerges. I wish I had the time to go through every detail and tell you about every nuance that we find from the story. We just don't have time. 
But suffice it to say, there's no detail given in these portions of the Scripture that isn't significant. And in a deeper study of these passages of Scripture, you just go deeper and deeper and deeper in the understanding of what God is trying to do here. Somehow or another, we're going to attempt to capture this morning what is this tabernacle business all about. Now, I want you to take note of that the book of Exodus covers two main subjects. It covers the subject of the Exodus and the deliverance of God's people, and it covers the subject of the building of the tabernacle. These two weighty subjects are very profound. Right in the middle is God's voice giving us the law. Being delivered and raising up a tabernacle. And I would submit to you that in terms of your walk with God, every one of us have to go through that deliverance thing with God. Every one of us have to come to know the Lord and we have to be delivered by Him. We have to come to terms with who God is and we have to, if we're going to go on to maturity, we have to help raise up the tabernacle that's in here. You are not done or perfected, or skilled, or mature in the Lord until you have seen the tabernacle fully raised up in your heart. You, you may be out of Egypt, and you may have crossed the Red Sea, and you may have heard the voice of God, but your job is not done. Your task is not complete until you see this tabernacle raised up inside of you. Now, the way that we do it is, as I've already said, it's a very simple thing. We start with the ark, and we start with where his commandments are at. The New Testament teaches us, and the prophet Jeremiah specifically said, those who are going to be a part of the new covenant, those who are going to have all the benefit of the patriarchs before, and Moses and the prophets, and are going to go forward with the Messiah, the first thing that's going to happen to them in their new covenant faith is that God is going to write His commandments on the tablets of their heart, which are the tablets that go inside the Ark of the Covenant, which is the first thing that goes in the tabernacle. And from there, you will see the expression. And all the teaching, if you're really paying attention, will all flow forward from there, just like the construction of the tabernacle. Every man who comes to God comes to God because there is a priest, someone who speaks for the Lord by the work of the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit, and he is brought into the tabernacle. He is first confronted with the labor. He must see his sin. He must see that he's undone. He's unclean, that he needs to be clean. Then he has to accept the sacrifice that is put on the great fire altar for him. Then he proceeds into the holy place, and there he must deal with the altar of the heart before God. He must deal with the table of showbread, God's servants. Through his son. He must deal with the light of the menorah and the seven spirits of God. And he must deal with that mercy seat. If he doesn't do it, he has not been on the path to coming to know the one true God. Maybe it's something else he's been doing. But that is the path. And then he learns that it's God's intent to raise up that tabernacle in him. And how is it constructed? From the inside now, many have tried to build the tabernacle differently. They have not been successful. Many have attempted to make a falsification for this methodology of how we will approach God. They have not been successful. You see, we, like Moses, are told that you shall follow it according to the pattern that I shall show you. That's the only way you're going to be successful in your spiritual maturing to do it. It is from the ark to the priests and the outer garments is the process in which that God begins to establish that for us. Let me give you a couple of interesting, what I call spiritual facts about our faith. Listen to this. The pattern of the tabernacle is about God manifesting himself to us and his desire to dwell in us. 
if we would just take note, cease from all of our religious thinking for a little bit, look at the pattern, we would realize God's great purpose toward us. There's a lot of details here. God's planned this all out. He wants it to be done a certain way. It's obvious this God is making it an effort to manifest Himself to us, to include us in so that He might dwell with us, that He might make His presence with us. It's clear by the examples that are shown to us. If you would, turn over to Hebrews chapter 8. And I believe that the writer of Hebrews, rightly so, is trying to emphasize to the book of Messianic Jews, that's the book of Hebrews, the book of Messianic Jews, and he's trying to key off of some instruction that we've already received so that we might get the essence of what is the most important thing in our faith, and that is the work of Yeshua the Messiah. And he's going to key off of things that we're supposed to already know. Things that are already impressed upon us. Things that we've already experienced. And in the case of the tabernacle, all Messianic Jews would have heard the story of the Exodus. They've heard the instruction of Moses. They know about the tabernacle and the temple service. And these are things to build upon the understanding of the Messiah, not to do away with. And so the instruction follows. Let me read for you from Hebrews chapter 8, under this same theme of what I've been saying to you. Now, the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Hence, it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says that thou make all things according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them up by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with them with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law into their minds, and I will write them upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said, A new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. The tabernacle that Moses erected did not remain eternally up. If you go further into the study of the Scripture of the history of Israel, you will also discover that David, wanting, desiring God to make his dwelling place with Israel, saw fit to gather all the materials, and his son erected a temple in Jerusalem so that God might dwell with Israel in the land of Israel. It didn't remain. For now some 1,900 years, it's not, not been erected. But there's another tabernacle that was raised up. It was one that was raised up by Yeshua as a result of His resurrection. He raised up in the hearts of men a tabernacle that has outlasted every one of the others. 
it still exists. And it will exist eternally in the hearts of every person who believes in Him. Just like the pattern of the one that is in heaven that's eternal. The fact of the matter is that the tabernacle of Moses, the temple of David, they were all temporary shadows of pictures trying to illustrate what would yet still yet be in the future. The one that Yeshua built. The one the Son of God built. That's the one that's really permanent, eternal. You and I go into eternity in it, with it, in the shadow of God. It was trying to explain to us about our new covenant faith. And the writer of Hebrews here so passionately trying to say, brethren, man, we are the recipients of what God purposed. Don't you remember the ancient story of salvation and deliverance? But it didn't end there. Remember, He gave His law. He gave His commandments. And then He erected a tabernacle and He dwelt. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. We don't end with salvation and deliverance. It's the start to begin to dwell with God. But you know what? If there's one thing in our new covenant faith we are virtually ignorant of, the one thing in our new covenant faith we and our fathers and generations before, the one th we've heard a lot about salvation and deliverance, and we've very little have we understood. How do we get that tabernacle built in our hearts? How do we get that constructed? I mean, God starts it, but how do we finish it? Where are all those pieces? Where are those furnishings? How do we? Where's the place that it should go? And where's the craftsmanship to finish the job? Let me give you a couple other facts, folks. The throne of God is the temple. The throne of God is illustrated in the tabernacle. If you were to go up into Revelation and you were to listen to the prophet Ezekiel and the prophet Isaiah who actually did see the throne of God, here's what they depicted and they told you. They said, it's just like walking into the temple. It's just like walking into the tabernacle. That underneath Ezekiel seeing the throne of God, he saw the Ark of the Covenant. He saw the burning wheels of the fiery chariot, the Merkabah, the throne chariot. He saw God rested above the cherubim. Isaiah saw the seraphim that were above the throne of God. John saw the throne of God and he walked in and he could see the showbread and he could see the menorah and he could see the veil and he could see the ark and he could see where God was at. It's the throne of God. Now we're all interested in the throne of God. We, we all want to be part, but we think the throne of God is some elusive thing. It's way up there in heaven. It's, you know, it's up there. Folks, the throne of God is here. If the tabernacle has been set up, this is the throne of God. This is where He dwells. This is where He sits on His throne. You don't have to go to heaven to find God in His throne. He's right there. He's in you. He's in your mouth. He's in your heart. Moses said, you don't have to go up to heaven to find God. He's near and close. You have to be willing to look inside. There's the throne of God. If the tabernacle has been built. God wants that. He wanted to dwell with us. He, just, he didn't say He wanted to stay up in heaven forever and have us stuck on the earth. He said He wanted to come to here. And in fact, the act of salvation, of accepting God's salvation, is to literally accept His plan and you invite Him in. Invite Him to come in and make His throne in your life. To Him be God to you and you quit being God for you. It's to let the tabernacle in.
the pattern of the temple service is about our new covenant faith. Now, we've had lots of teachers who told us our new covenant faith is totally something different than the tabernacle service. Wrong. It is the pattern of the temple service. Every one of you are instructed to give sacrifices of thanksgiving from your lips. And sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise from your heart. Every one of you is challenged with the duty to keep that altar fire burning so that when the great high priest returns, he will find it ready to do business with God. Every one of you is told to keep your heart as clean and as pure as the courts of his tabernacle. If you want to understand how to live your new covenant faith, learn something about the tabernacle service. Learn something of the duties of the priests and how to minister to the Lord, how things should be done right and proper. Let me give you an example of how this works. I'll carry it out just a little bit further. Probably scare half the people who may listen to this tape to death. Let me ask you something. Here we are standing out there with Moses. The tabernacle is erected. And Moses wants to invite you in to see the tabernacle with him. You're going to walk in with Moses. You're going to be led in properly, introduced to all of the elements in there. And so you prepare your heart and you proceed in and on a leash is a pig. Would you carry that pig? Would you lead that pig into those courts? Why do you then eat pig? and lead it into this tabernacle that's in here. If this is really the tabernacle of God now that's in here, why don't you follow the pattern? Why do you think you have the right to desecrate the courts and throne of God in your new covenant faith? I tell you, you don't. See, the pattern of the tabernacle clears up a whole bunch of those issues. Well, I thought God, when I got my new covenant faith, gave me a cast iron stomach and I was no longer subject to the ill effects of eating pig. No, he didn't give you a cast iron stomach. He raised up a tabernacle inside of you. And anybody who's a casual observer of the tabernacle knows, I don't care what your theology is, but it's stupid to lead a pig into the court. Stupid. Why don't we look and understand? The courts of the Lord are now in here. Why don't we follow the pattern? You know, that's just one example. We could go through a whole host of them. They really clear up a lot of questions. What is proper before the Lord? What is not? What would be right before the Lord? And I am suggesting to you that the new covenant in no way abrogates or destroys any commandment with regard to the temple service. In fact, it fills it up full of more meaning and makes it the really eternal tabernacle. The one that's not like the one in the wilderness or the one in Jerusalem. The real one, like the one that's in heaven, because we're going to be in heaven eventually. We are eternal creatures and we will be with eternity. This earth will one day pass away. We and the Lord will not. So the things that God creates and constructs within you are also part of the eternal order of things. Amen? The pattern of the temple service is also about our Messiah, the high priest. If I were to read for you further in Hebrews chapter 9, that's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say that Messiah is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek who serves in a temple in heaven and in here. He is the priestly order of heaven and here. Levites don't serve in this one. Yeshua the Messiah serves in this one. This one is a better one 
than the one before. The other one was a shadow, a, a copy, a, a, a repetition of it so that we could see it and understand it so that we'd understand this one. So we could understand the great work of the Messiah who presents sacrifices for us, who ministers for us. Now, when Yeshua came, it is very clear from the gospel intent that he came with an incredible message about this, about this whole subject. In fact, he said in John 2, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Destroy this one here in Jerusalem. This one made by Solomon and other descendants as Rubables to tear it down. I will raise up the real one in three days. The Jews therefore said, this is verse 20, it took 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. See, they weren't getting it. They didn't understand that the tabernacle is a foreshadowing of the great work of God of his making his dwelling place with men. And they thought that that temple there in Jerusalem was, was the pinnacle of their faith. That's, that's the real object. That's, that's what our faith is really all about. And they didn't understand. No, no, no. When the Messiah comes, it's that tabernacle that's raised up. That's the really good one. That's the, that's the one that's greater than the tent of Moses or the stones of David and Solomon. It would be a much, much better one. Do you remember when he was on the cross, this obviously was a very compelling subject to them. When he's being crucified, Matthew 27, 40 says, and saying while he was on the cross, you who is going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. They thought his statement was the most preposterous thing they'd ever heard in their life. Destroy the temple in Jerusalem and he's going to build a new one in three days? They didn't understand God's great plan to raise up the real tabernacle, to assemble it. In Matthew 15, Excuse me, in Mark 15, 29, it essentially says the same thing, that, but I wanted to draw emphasis to it. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Let's stop for a second and think about this. Now, men, it would take them 46 years to construct the temple. For those of you who've been to Israel, you've seen the stones. Just the idea of nudging one of those stones just seems like an unbelievable, overwhelming task. I mean, I can understand it with big, uh, you know, caterpillar tools and, and, and forklifts and, uh, you know, dump trucks. And uh, I can understand how those things could be removed today. But I go back in time and I say, how did they move these things? You know, there's one stone there, a very large stone, at the base. I think it's about 40-some feet long. How did they move it and not crack it? How did they move such stones? You know what? It's almost the same way I think New Covenant believers are today. How can God make a tabernacle in me? Where will he get the adequate pure materials? How will he make it? Because in my heart, my heart's black, filthy, unholy. How can he make that a holy place where his presence would dwell? How can he construct the courts correctly? And there's a kind of an almost unbelief. We know such things are so, but how could it be? The fact of the matter is, that Yeshua's reference to building the tabernacle in three days was really about his resurrection. In fact, the gospel writers insert, it's not in the oldest manuscripts, thus he was talking about his resurrection. You see, there's something about his resurrection 
then enables Yeshua to raise up the tabernacle in us by faith. You remember about the resurrection, about how did that stone get moved? You know, that big stone that was covering the tomb? Do you know what the sign of the stone is that the Scripture is referring to about the sign? You know, you'll have the sign of the stone at the resurrection. It's this. It's well written up in the Talmud. They recognize this as a very significant sign about the resurrection. See, there was this big round stone and it covered the tomb. And if you were going to go in there and steal somebody out of the tomb and so forth, well, you would take and you get enough muscle and guys and enough levers and you would roll the stone out of the way, right? And wouldn't you use gravity? You know, as you get it, you kind of roll it down and out of the way. The problem was that the stone that was covering Yeshua's tomb was rolled uphill. That was the sign of the stone. Nobody rolls the stone uphill. A man would roll it down. Now, if he's got the power, brethren, to roll that stone uphill, he's got the power to move stones in your heart and create a wonderful tabernacle in you. And it will be something significant. It will be different. You won't understand why, but he has the power and he has the authority to do it. Quite simply said, if he's really God, he shouldn't have a problem with that. Now, if he's a man, he should have a lot of problem with it. But since he's God... He does not have difficulty moving stones and other building materials to construct a tabernacle in your heart. He has the power and the authority to do such things. And I would submit to you that it's in the wonderful work of the resurrection that the work of the construction of the tabernacle is made. And you know what he does? He goes to every believer and he makes it according to the pattern of the one in heaven. Your tabernacle doesn't look different from my tabernacle. Or anybody else's. We all get the same one exactly after the same pattern because it's the same builder. And he follows the same plans. How do we know that? Because he's the chief cornerstone. And everything in the tabernacle is built off of that stone. It's the reference for all the other building. You have the same Yeshua I have. You have the same chief cornerstone I have. And he builds the tabernacle off of him. By his resurrection, it is constructed in us. The great work of Yeshua is the resurrection, and his resurrection is about the raising up of the tabernacle in the hearts of men. When the new covenant began at the day of Pentecost, the big sermon that Peter gives to us there in Acts 2, the great message that he gives is not that Yeshua is the Messiah. It's not that Yeshua came and fulfilled prophecies. It's that he was resurrected and he's no longer in the grave and he's alive. And you guys are on record as having killed him. And he's been victorious over death. That's what pricked their hearts and said, what are we to do? What must we do to be saved? Because they took responsibility for their death, for their part in his death, and yet he's still alive. You would think that since he's now alive, he would come back to destroy and judge those who caused his death, wouldn't you? I mean, if, if some guy came and he, he killed you, he, he assaulted you, he shot you, and, and you died, and somehow God brought you back and you came face to face with the guy, what do you think the question would be? That other guy is going to pay a penalty. What he did was wrong. And so they were pricked in their hearts and said, what are we to do? You know, if he's alive and he's coming back, he's coming back to exact judgment upon those who perpetrated his death. 
The interesting thing, of course, is about the death on the cross is he died because of sins, not because of the work of the Gentiles. Sure, they carried out the orders of Pilate. It's not because of the religious leaders. They condemned him, of course. But the thing that actually caused his actual death was the sin of the world. That's us. Them and us. Every one of us had a part in it. This business about him coming back and forgiving us, his business of him raising up the tabernacle to make a dwelling place in us, it only seems fitting that we should be in a receptive mood of him, that we should be kindly toward him. Now, for us Jews, this all seems to fit. And the real quandary comes into is, do the Gentiles get the same thing? Do they get a tabernacle too? I mean, you know, formerly, you know, the, the Gentiles had to stay out Remember, out of the inner courts, there was, there was a court of Gentiles, but they don't, they don't get to go into the other courts, right? I mean, does this tabernacle, does it permit Gentiles to go into those courts? And the answer is yes. In this tabernacle, there is no court of Gentile. There's just the courts of God. And even Gentiles get to go into them. This is a much better tabernacle than the previous ones before. And in fact, Paul's instruction to a Gentile audience in 1 Corinthians 6.19, he said, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that is not your own? Emphasizing even to the Gentiles, even you have the tabernacle. Even you now have this tabernacle. When the whole issue of the Gentiles and how are they to be a part of this new covenant faith, there was a key verse that they quoted from Amos chapter 9 that James quoted that resolved the matter. The Gentiles are to be received in faith equal to the Jews. Why? What is the core issue? What is that final deciding thing? Was it some particular point in the law? No. Was it something that Moses had said? No. It was something the prophet had said. A prophet who had prophesied and said this, that after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. And it was a prophecy about the Messiah that when the Messiah came, a son of David, he would be raising up a tabernacle that would be perfectly restored to God. That all of the previous things that have happened with tabernacles and temples and so forth, those issues would be resolved. And thus, that was the verse that was used to determine as to what part the Gentiles are to receive in this new covenant faith. That they are to be treated fairly, equally, and received. Because God, by the evidence of them receiving the Holy Spirit, had proved that He had raised up the tabernacle of God inside of them. The one that's even better than the one from Jerusalem. Why do we know that that was what they were witnessing and knowing? Because all of the evidences are that when the tabernacles are built, the temples are built, the moment that God enters them is an infilling of the Holy Spirit. The Shekinah glory of God illuminates the altar. Everybody goes face down. The place is filled with smoke. And everybody knows God's presence is there. In our new covenant faith, when you have that experience of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, whether it be at that moment that you accept the Lord or it be later on, that's when you have the evidence that tabernacle has been filled with the Shekinah glory of God. And it's as moving experience for you as it ever was in Jerusalem or in the wilderness for them. And Peter, who had gone out first to the Gentiles, to the house of Cornelius, that was the evidence he saw. He began to preach to him, and suddenly they were filled with the Holy Spirit, it said. And they gave evidence of the Spirit of God. You know those tongues of fire You know that they said that they saw? It's the fire coming off the altar in the tabernacle. 
not just any fire. It's the fire that illuminates the altar and gets it going. And he came and gave testimony. He says, see, God has already put the tabernacle inside of them. Why is it that we would give them additional instruction? You see, if they already have the tabernacle, they already have the law written on the tablets of their heart, in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, already in them. What additional instruction did we think we were supposed to give them? God's already written His commandments on their heart. It was almost absurd, the idea that we had to give additional instruction when God has already done this. And that was the conclusion of James. And he said, brethren, the prophets agree with this. It says the Messiah was going to come and rebuild, raise up the tabernacle of David. You know, the one like of Moses after that same pattern. And that he was going to include the Gentiles. All the nations. And it's clear that we've now witnessed that God has fulfilled what the prophet Amos said. Let us go forward with that instruction. Let me give you another fact now with regard to the tabernacle. The tabernacle, the real tabernacle, is not a place. It's about God dwelling in you. It's about what's in you to explain, to see the picture of what's going on in here. So having said that, let me just summarize for you what's in here so that we know. His commandments are written, not written on stone. They're written on our hearts. The tablets of our heart are in the ark of the Holy of Holies. In here, the base of the mercy seat. The throne of God. That's what's in us. The mercy seat's in us. The throne of God is in us. The Holy Spirit has filled us like the Shekinah glory of God fills the tabernacle. All this has been made possible by the work of Yeshua's resurrection. He has raised the tabernacle in us by our acceptance of Him as God's promise. His promise self. This is incredible work God's Son has done to our benefit. It was always the plan that God was going to do it. We, if we are in this new covenant faith, that is what we received. Now, what has happened in the course of our instruction and what is it that most of us have experienced in our lifetimes in terms of the instruction of the tabernacle? If you're like me, most of you have seen the model of the tabernacle. It was down there in Sunday school. And there was always some really highly motivated teacher who was always saying, this is important stuff. This is about us. We ought to learn this. And the rest of us kind of sat around and said, looks like an awful lot of religiosity to me because I don't relate to sacrifices and altars and priests. And, and uh, you know, I don't relate to that. That's not what we do here. That's not how we worship God. Maybe that's the way the ancients worshipped Him, but we don't worship that way. We don't go to temples. We go to churches. We don't have priests. We have preachers. You know, we don't have the law anymore. We have the New Testament, right? Everything is substituted. Everything that God established, man has decided to put away. What's wrong with this picture? Maybe we're making a mistake. Maybe we've made a, an incredible mistake. Why don't we worship in the tabernacle? Why don't we keep the commandments that are written on the tables of our heart? Why do we have people who say, let me just read a series of statements to you. I think you'll get the drift of this. And I want to say this as I read them to you. That I do this in love. I don't do this to condemn. They, I'm not judging anybody. The Lord is the only judge there is. Each man will give account to the Lord. 
But the thing that I raise this to you is for you to reflect and see if maybe you've been subject to some of this teaching, as I have. It has been my testimony. I was subject to this teaching. And I have now discovered it was not right. The church fathers have changed the commandment of Sabbath from a time of rest to a time of assembly. No wonder the world is so concerned about, confused about what Sabbath is all about. You know, you go talk to the average believer today, and he thinks Sabbath is about uh, an assembly time. Or you, or you mean you, we, have to, we have to go to church on Saturday. No, that's not Sabbath. That's not at all what I'm talking about. Sabbath is a commandment about resting. It's not a time about going to church. But they've substituted it, and they're confused. The church fathers have changed the place of worship from our hearts to a building place. I never had any New Covenant teachers tell me I'm to worship God from my heart in the, before the very throne of God. Now, I've had some evangelicals tell me that my faith has to originate from my heart, but I never heard anybody say, no, you don't have to go to a church building. You can go in here and worship the Lord. Somehow we always knew it was right, but nobody said it. Church fathers have made the church into a place of assembly, and we're just people who go to church. The biblical word church is about people. The biblical word church is the ecclesia, the called out assembly from the world. But they've changed that into a building, a place. And it's not us, and we're struggling, and we you've heard that you've heard that said yourself, I'm sure you've said, Well, we're the church. The church is not that place over there. Try telling that to an established church congregation. I guarantee you every one of your tithes is going to support that place. Where your money is, there will your heart be also. Here we are trying to worship God, and instead of worshiping men in hearts and our new covenant faith, we're all going to this place. No wonder we're confused. No wonder people are going, you know, I really feel like I should be able to go up on a mountaintop and worship God better than sitting in that place. They're not wise theologically, but they're speaking the truth. Amen. The church fathers have made the place of worship to be holy when it is you that is holy. If the holy of holies is in here, God has made you holy. Not that place. You. It's been stolen from you. The, the spiritual attributes of what God has done for you has been misappropriated. So you walk around and say, I'm filthy. The church is holy. The church fathers have gone further and said that the traditions of men are better than the commandments and instructions of God. I have sit with men and discussed these points. And they will defend. They won't defend their present day worship based on Scripture. They don't pull verses out of here and say, see, God purposed that we should do it in this church building. They don't, because there's no verses that say that. Instead, what they say, and this is an exact quote, the church fathers decided that we should do it this way. Hmm. I mean, that's as good an argument as the rabbi said we should do it this way instead of the way Moses said. I don't think that carries much weight. So where did the church fathers get the authority to say such things? The church fathers have gone further and said, the tabernacle and its service is no more. The things I've been telling you in Exodus, they say, no, 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 that's just history. Those are no more. What they're actually denying you is that church fathers are saying the commandments, those real commandments of God have not been written on your heart. Because every time you start asking questions, well, what about this commandment? You know, you know, the one that was written on my heart? 
Oh, well, that's done away with. Uh, that, was, uh, that was nailed on the cross. Uh, that went away. Exactly how did that fourth commandment about Sabbath, that's written on the tablets of my heart, that came about as a result of the resurrection, how exactly did that get erased a few days before when he was nailed to the cross? When it wasn't even written until he was resurrected. The logic is stunning. I think they're confused. I think they're as confused as those men who slaughtered the first New Covenant believer, Stephen. You know, Stephen, who was martyred there in Acts chapter 6, when they brought him to his trial, here's what they said against him. Acts 6, verses 13 and 14. And they put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs of Moses, which Moses handed down to us. Now the New Testament says these are the words of false witnesses. That Jesus, in fact, the truth is, Jesus did not come to do away with the temple service and alter the customs of Moses. The fact of the matter is, according to his words, he came to raise up the tabernacle, the really permanent one, the eternal one, the one that really counts, and to bring to fullness all that Moses said. But today, in our new covenant faith, and it has been my experience in my previous instruction, all I ever heard from my religious teachers was that Jesus came to do exactly that. Destroy the place, not raise it up, and make it go away. Now, I grant you, he said, destroy this place, and I'll raise it up in three days. But they only remember the part about destroying the place. They don't remember the other part. Nor do they understand the great work that Yeshua has done in the hearts of all of His people. Yet they were my religious teachers. Yet they were the ones I had to submit to for instruction. Now here we are at the end of the age, and that's all we've ever heard in our religious instruction. Oh, we heard about Yeshua. We heard about salvation and deliverance. and We heard something about God spoke. But quite honestly, none of us have received instruction about how to raise up the tabernacle. Allow it to be built in us. The real one. And its service. And its holiness. And how to honor God. And how to worship Him there. We've not received any of that. In fact, today, if you try to go and get additional instruction on this, if you go to a church you will be in for a battle. Not only will they not teach you this, they will dispute you tooth and nail. Let me give you a fact, and I say this in all love to all my brethren, those who may hear this tape in the future. Anyone who tells you differently from Yeshua and Moses concerning the tabernacle is a false witness. The New Testament says so. The New Testament says in Acts 6, these are the words of false witnesses. Those false witnesses were so deadly they caused the death of Stephen. And I submit to you that preaching it from the pulpit also causes the death of other martyrs in the future. The misrepresentation of those things. The teaching of the church fathers concerning the law the tabernacle and the work of Yeshua concerning the tabernacle is the evidence of false witnesses. Now you have heard the instruction from Moses and Yeshua about what the tabernacle is to be. And it is to be a part of your new covenant faith. And there are many evidences that you have already of this. You don't need me to basically confirm it. You already know these things to be self-evident and true. It is time to end that other nonsense. It is time for God's people 
to really invite him in and let God establish his tabernacle in their hearts so that he might dwell with his people. Instead of falsifying it and pushing it off and trying to get God to live in something else. God is not interested in your little duplex, your little mansion that you want to build. He's interested in making his tabernacle in your heart. He's not impressed with metro centers or community service buildings. And he's not impressed with how big your sanctuary is that you can assemble in. He is impressed with how clean your heart is so that he can move in and set up the tabernacle of God. That is what he purposes and intends to do. And that's what we should get out of the way and let him do. Amen? Let me conclude by sharing with you a psalm which I think uh, best expresses one who understood the great value of the tabernacle. A psalm of David is Psalms 27. And I want to conclude on our teaching about the tabernacle with what he said in a very loving and wonderful way. Psalms 27, beginning at verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this I shall be confident. One thing have I asked from the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. For in the day of trouble He will conceal me in His tabernacle. In the secret place of His tent He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing the praises to the Lord. You want to be in the refuge of God? You want to be under the wings of God? You want to be in the shadow of God? You have to have a tabernacle. You have to have the tabernacle of God. Remember the man who constructed the elements in his name? In the shadow of God. That's where the refuge is at. It's not in a place, people. It's right here, close by. Right here. It's in this one. The enemy cannot come into those courts. If you bind yourself to the altar there, he can't reach you. You're covered by the Lord. You have sanctuary in God. It's not in the building down the street. It's in here. If the tabernacle has been constructed and built in here. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of the tabernacle. Thank you for the instruction. Father, of your great plan to come and make your dwelling place with us. And Lord, we as a congregation, we confess and admit to you that we are a people whose hearts are sometimes with you and sometimes not, whose behavior sometimes is right and correct and upright, and sometimes it is not. But Lord, we do confess to you that we do seek the real essence, the truth of our faith. We're not interested in imitations, or substitutes. We want what you have for us, Lord. We want you to make your dwelling place in us. The real dwelling places. Not symbol. Not symbology. We want the real tabernacle, Lord. Not the copy or shadow of things. But the one that takes up residence that the Son of God made. And can make. That's the one we desire, Lord. Show us the tabernacle in us that you've raised up. 
Show us how to get the courts ready and prepared and clean and proper. Show us the service for the altar. Show us, Lord, how to trim the lamp, how to set the table of showbread, how to put before you the sweet incense of prayers, how to offer up sacrifices from our lips of praise and thanksgiving and shouts of joy. Show us how to really worship you, Lord, how to be the real servants of you. Lord, we invite you into those courts and we ask you to take up residence in our lives and be the real King of Kings for us. We know it's your desire to be with us. So, Lord, we welcome you. We invite you. We say, come, Lord. Take up your proper place in our hearts. Show us the ark and the mercy seat. Give us the heart to obey your commandments. Lord, and to worship you in spirit and in truth correctly. Let us not, Lord, be sold out with cheap substitutes and religiosity. We choose the presence of you, Lord, above and over all other things. We thank you, Lord, for making such a tabernacle for making it possible for you to dwell in the hearts of men. And Lord, we invite you into our hearts. We ask you to take up your throne in us. May your name be honored and glorified in that tabernacle. Thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. For more information about Lion and Lamb Ministries, call our office at 405-447-4429. Our address is Post Office Box 720-968, Norman, Oklahoma, 73070. Our web address is www.lionlamb.net. Thank you.